Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. It is wonderful to see each of you here this morning. I am very blessed for the opportunity to be able to share a portion of God's word with you this morning, and I am grateful for your presence. As you can see on the slide here, I have the schedule for the month. And as you can see, we have done it again, not we, Bruce has done it again, and he has scheduled me, Jordan, and Jordan back to back to back again. And so, again, we're going to have a little mini-series that the three of us are doing. And maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, again? Really? Or, what is going on? What is Bruce doing? And I want to assure you of one thing. First, all complaints should go first to the Father. Second, they should go to Bruce. So, we are going to be starting a series, and since we've done this a few times now, um, I thought that it was time for a brand name. And I consulted the others, but they never responded, so they're getting what they paid for. And I decided that the brand name for our mini-series henceforth is going to be a Three Stooges production. Because, well, that's what we are. All jokes aside, for the next three weeks, what we are going to be looking at is a series on God's Word and the power, the reliability, and the accessibility of God's Word. Because we are totally convinced, and the people who gather here this morning are convinced that God's Word is powerful, it is reliable, and it is accessible. And not only that, but this is a message that the world needs to hear. Just last night, okay, I had no plans of doing this as a motivation for this series, but last night on Facebook, I saw this. The context is someone used Titus chapter 1 to make a point. And this is someone's response to Titus 1 being used to make a point. Ancient scripture written thousands of years ago by fallible man during a specific historical time setting is tricky. Assuming you've interpreted it correctly is one thing. And then working on that assumption, wondering if it's an applicable teaching to accurately pin a modern phenomenon is a totally separate thing. And lastly, deciding on whether a modern religious sect could accurately pin such in relation to me specifically is another issue. The response is that, well, I'm not sure if Titus 1 really applies here, and this is the reason why. And just in case the lack of context or maybe the wording is confusing to you, I want to break it down for you. This person has an issue with the reliability of the Word of God. This person has an issue with the reliability and the power of the Word of God because it's ancient, and how can it be applied to modern phenomenon? This person has a problem with the accessibility of the Word of God because it's tricky, because how can you accurately pin it down? The world needs to know, the world needs to see that God's Word has power, that God's Word is reliable, and God's Word is accessible for each and every one of us. And that's what this series is about. This series is about what the world needs to hear, and it is God's Word, because it is powerful. It's more powerful than any joke I can tell. It's more powerful than any sort of sweet aroma that we can give of ourselves. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. It is the power of God's Word that we will be addressing. It is the power of God's Word that the Scriptures are trying to convince us of from the very beginning. 
But before we go there, I want to get our minds situated. I want to get our minds thinking about things we think of when we think of being powerful. What is it that you think of when you think of the most powerful thing? And we're in church, you know, and we're talking about the power of God's word. So you're probably thinking God or God's word. But imagine your coworker asked you this Tuesday at 2 p.m. Okay, if some one of your coworkers came up to you and said, "What's the most powerful thing you can think of?" Well, if you're a nerd, you might say something like a quantum computer or a particle accelerator. Or maybe if you're not a nerd, or maybe if you you are, you might say something like a nuclear bomb. These are powerful weapons. These are powerful tools, powerful instruments. Now, what if I change it up a little bit and I and I ask you, "What's the most powerful thing you can imagine?" So it's not necessarily in reality, but something that you can imagine. Again, maybe if you're a nerd, you might think of the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek with its speed and its power and its magnificence. Or if you're a fan of the Marvel movies, the Six Infinity Stones. Or maybe if you're like my wife, you think of a genie in a bottle or something like this. There are a number of things that we can think of when we think of something being powerful. And most of us, I don't think, are like power hungry where we're trying to grab everything we can that is very powerful, you know? I think there's some of us that are a little bit like Tim Allen in Home Improvement, more power, right? We want tools with more power. And the thing is, is that if it's something that we really care about and there's a tool that we can access that is powerful to affect change in the thing we care about, we're going to reach for it. If there is something that we can grab that we can use, that we can utilize to affect change in something we really care about, we're going to use it, especially if it's the most powerful tool available for it. And so the question I have in light of that is, do you care about your life and the world you live in? Because if you care about your life and the world you live in, then you ought to access the most powerful tool, the most powerful weapon to affect change in it. And that is the Word of God. And we're going to explore that fact this morning. Starting in the very beginning, we have Genesis chapter 1, where God speaks. And through God speaking, through God's Word, the formless becomes formed. That which was void was no longer void. The world comes to be organized as it is because of the power of God's Word. This is something that's awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, and fear-evoking. That God has this sort of power just by what He says. This is something that the Psalms kind of go on and on about. One of these is Psalms chapter 33, verses 4-6, through where it says, For the Word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of good, the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The word of the Lord is right. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the hosts of heavens by the breath of his mouth. It goes on in verse 9 to say, he, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. When God speaks, there's nothing that can stand against it. It's going to be done. Psalm 148, 5 and 6 says, Let them praise, who's them? Creation. Let them praise the name of the Lord. 
For he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Think about how this decree stands in contrast to all others. Think of all the decrees made by various governments through the world history. Where are they? In a thousand years, where will be the decrees we live under today? There is no other decree. There is no other command. There is no other word that will not pass away but the word of God. He speaks, it happens. It comes to fruition. Not this year, but several years in a row, Jesse and I have attempted to grow cilantro. We, we have attempted to do this. And, you know, we buy the seed and we buy the nice, the nice soil. And, and we, we, I say, we, Jesse waters the plants, right? And she, she makes sure they're taken care of. And we talk about, man, I wish this, this cilantro would actually grow something worth eating. It just grows long and skinny and doesn't produce anything worth eating. We pour, she pours time and effort into this. We put money into it. We talk about it. But it doesn't happen. God says the word, grow. And it can happen. Think about that sort of power. I mean, if we could just say a word and my tomato vine actually start producing tomatoes, I mean, that's power. That's magnificent and awe-inspiring power. And it's the power that God has in His Word. Isaiah speaks to this in chapter 55, verses 9 through 11. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. This is a point that we're going to be coming back to over and over again. That when God says it, it will not return void. It will accomplish what He sent it for, and it will prosper what He sent it for. Here's the, the thing that's going to be, I'm going to adamantly propose to you this morning. You can't escape God's Word. You can try to run from it. You can try to hide from it. But it will get you. It will either get you in this life or it will get you on judgment day. God's word will get you. There's no escaping it. It is the inevitable thing that touches our creation. There's no escaping. God's word will not return to him void. It's not like me saying, I wish my cilantro would grow and nothing happens. He speaks, and it is. He wants something to prosper, and it will. It accomplishes what he pleases. Quick side note. I've got a, a list of things going on the side here. We're going to be collecting a list of things that the Scriptures have to say about how powerful God's Word is, and it's just going to end up starting ticking up as the list fills, okay? Because I, I really want us to see, I really want us to see that the Scriptures just can't say enough about how powerful God's Word is. 
And they say a lot about how powerful it is in the way that we've been talking about, that it accomplishes what God wants, that there's nothing that can stop it. It doesn't return void. But they also talk about it as a thing that is prosperous for one's life, that is life-changing, that transforms the life of people who look to it. Psalms 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then in verse 105 it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's Word is not just something that is really powerful to create things. It is a powerful force that can change your life, that can help you cease from sin, that can be a guide that you need. God's Word is powerful to accomplish these things. And Moses speaks of this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6-9, through about how important it is to take heed to the commands to the Word of God because of how life-changing they can be. And these words which I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Notice where he's saying to talk about the scriptures. When you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Sounds like 24-7 to me. Moses, God through Moses, is wanting his people to understand that they should be taking God's word with them every single day, all day, sharing it with their children all day. God's word is supposed to go with them all the time, the same way we carry the phone around in our pockets all the time. That's how it's supposed to be. And there's a reason for it. It's the reason that the psalmist talks about in chapter 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruits in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. It is clear from looking at Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm chapter 1 that what the Scriptures want us to understand is that the Word is supposed to be internalized and meditated upon because it has the power to transform your life for the better. It is life-changing. It is life-giving. The Word of God is not the sort of thing you pass by. If you want your life to actually get better, if you want your life to be productive and fruitful, meditate on it day and night. Internalize it. Don't just do the reading plan to just read it. Meditate on it day and night. Internalize it. Allow it to seep into your heart because there are magnificent things that can happen. So magnificent, the longest chapter of the Bible is dedicated to talking about what happens when you make God's Word and His law the central focus of your life. And we're just going to read a few of these here. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your Word has given me life. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. The word of God has the ability to comfort you in affliction, is more valuable than any amount of money you could throw at it, and can make you wiser than anyone around. There's a reason why the king of Israel was supposed to have their own written copy of the law. Because it gives you wisdom and comfort and life for constant daily use. Not only can we go on and on with Old Testament passages that talk about the power of God's word in the scriptures, but we also see this same power, this same impact of God's word found in the New Testament, found in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus picks up this very teaching. He picks up this very uh, notion that God's word is something that is extremely powerful and extremely potent and necessary for your life. When he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness, one of the things he's doing as he's fasting is being tempted to eat bread. And his response is to quote Deuteronomy, where it says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus wants the the, the devil to understand that the true sustenance in life, the sustenance we really need, is not the bread of this physical world but the word of God. In John 6, 63, Jesus, talking about his own word, says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirits, and they are life. It is in the words of Jesus, it is in the words of God, that we find the true sustenance that we need. Think about this for a minute. When you want to eat something, right? Like we eat to survive. Yes, okay, but then, you know, we can eat bad things or we can eat good things to survive, right? We all know the cakes and the cookies is where it's at. It's where it's at. Temporarily. You know, you come down the sugar come down off the sugar high and you start feeling pretty blah. You eat nothing but cakes and cookies for twenty years and you feel really blah, right? You give your kids cakes and cookies or you send them to Mike Hall's house, and then he sends them back hyped up on sugar. And you see the impacts, right? Just because it's it's really good for a temporary time doesn't mean it's the thing that's going to change your life for the better, right? The same thing is true for the teachings and the words of people in this world. We can eat them. We can consume them. We can eat them up. But it's not going to be life-changing like the Word of God. It's not going to produce a whole and healthy life that you desire. Only God's word can do that for you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I probably could have just done my entire sermon on this verse because there's just so much here. And we're just going to touch a few things here. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing. This kind of gets back to the the point I was making. You can't escape it. It's going to pierce. It's going to go deep. And it's going to discern. 
God's word is more powerful than any other weapon. And it's alive, okay? It is alive. This gets back to the point that I was talking about earlier. Most people, when they think of God's word, or they think specifically of the scriptures, they think of an ancient has-been text. Okay, it's this old book that's 2000 years old in terms of its writings or more. And it's just this has been thing. It's ancient. We got to move on. We need progress. But Hebrews says that it is alive. Okay, and we we think it's true. And I want to contrast this too. we think it's true. But there's a difference between something being true and something being alive. Two plus two equals four is true. But it's not alive. It's not teeming with energy. It's not, it doesn't have the ability to produce change in your life. But God's Word is teeming. It's alive. It's got energy. It's got breath in it. And it can speak life to you. Do we treat it as such? Do we treat the Scriptures as such? Or do we treat it as just another app on our phone? Or another book at our house? Do we walk by it and think, that thing's alive? You know the difference between this, this right here, I'm holding up my phone. You see the light come on? Yeah. And this, it's another phone. What's the difference? This one's dead. This white one, it's dead. But this one, it's got life in it. It's got a charge. It's got battery, right? It's got a connection to something. It's got some sort of Wi-Fi LTE, whatever, right? There's a difference here. Is, is this one good for nothing, the white one that's dead? No, it's not good for nothing. It's a paperweight, right? It can hold my papers down. I could throw it at someone if I was in danger. Uh, I could give it to my kid as a toy. There, there's some function here, right? But how does it compare to the function of the one with battery in it? How does it compare to the one that has life in it? We can see the difference, right? I can use this as a calculator. I can use it as a Bible. I can use it for the internet. I can use it to go and argue with people on social media. I can use it for all kinds of things, right? There's life in it. And that's the difference between God's word and any other word of man. There's life in it. There's life in that book. There's life in God's word. And it can produce change in you and everyone you love. Ephesians 6.17 picks up with this imagery of a sword. It says, and take the helmet of God and the sword of the spirits, which is the word of God. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. This is a sword that we wield. And it is a sword brought forth by the spirit. I don't think that we can fully fathom just how awesome this is. And how powerful of a statement this is. That we have access to this weapon that was breathed life into by God. And carries the spirit with it to this day. It is the greatest weapon that we have access to for ourselves and for those around us.
James chapter 1, verse 18, and then verse 21 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with weakness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word of God is like a seed that gets planted in soil and can bring forth life. Sound familiar? It can save your soul. It is life-giving. It is life-changing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we see we there's a passage here that talks about the prophecy of man versus or what man has to say versus the prophecy that comes from God. I want to focus on this last part here. Prophecy of scripture is not of any private interpretation. Prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now there's a, 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 an element of this that's definitely going to be in the purview of Jordan Dancer's talk about how this is not just some man-made book that we turn to. But when we turn to the Scriptures, when we turn to the Bible, we're looking to something that is God's Word. And, and something I, I maybe haven't made totally apparent, but maybe you picked up at this point, is that God's Word is bigger than just the scriptures, okay? Because they spoke the word of God at times. Jesus spoke the word of God. It's bigger. It's bigger. Jesus, God spoke the world to be. It's bigger. But we have access to the scriptures. And I want to look at a couple of passages here that really speak specifically to the scriptures and the power that is found within them. The first is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 14 through 17, but it's where it says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. First point about the Scriptures. They can make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Going on. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, let's understand what this is saying about this book we call the Bible. Okay, it's inspired of God. It means it's God's breathe. It's God breathe. There's life in it. And it is profitable for doctrine. What does that mean? It can teach you stuff. It's got good teachings in it. It's good for reproof. It can tell you where you're wrong. It can tell you where you're off. It can tell you where you're off kilter. It can correct you. It can tell you what you should be doing instead. It can give you instruction in righteousness. It can train you for doing what's right. It can make you complete, whole, healthy. And it can make you equipped for every good work. It's life-changing. I mean, any one person in this room could do some, one of these, right? If you come to me, uh, one of my dream jobs would be to sit in a room and just tell people where they're wrong, okay? Like, man, that would be something I'd be really good at, okay? I can reprove people all day long, and I, 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 would, I would do that. Reprove people's ideas, reprove people's lives, finances, whatever. I will tell people where they're wrong. But ask me where what you need to do to get right? Don't ask me. I can tell you where you're wrong, but to do all the other stuff too, I'm going to fall short. 
Every single one of us is going to fall short. Every single thing that exists is going to fall short, but the Word of God and making you able to know what's true and able to make you know what you're wrong and able to make you know where you need to go if you're going to get right. The Scriptures have those answers for your family, for your marriage, for your parenting, for everything. The Scriptures have that for you. We must turn to them. And I just, I, I want to take just a second here to say this includes the Old Testament. I think a lot of times, at least when I was growing up, when I thought of the Scriptures and I thought about how much life there was in them, I thought about the New Testament. That's my primary focus. But when Paul says here, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, he's talking to Timothy, who grew up on the Old Testament. They make you wise for salvation too. That's why it says in Romans 15.4 that the things that were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comforts of the Scriptures, might have hope. There is hope in the Old Testament. I know you turn to some books, it seems like doom and gloom, but I promise you there's hope there. Now all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. The things that were written in the Old Testament are there for our warning, for our admonition that we can have hope. And that's why I'm grateful that here we've done a series on Proverbs, we've done a series on Joshua, and now we're in a series in Isaiah because there's hope, there's comfort, there's wisdom found in the Old Testament. And we neglect ourselves. We neglect ourselves of power to change our lives when we neglect the Old Testament. We've collected... I think 33, 33 different descriptions of how life-changing, life-giving, and powerful the Word of God is. We could go all day. And we're going to go for three weeks. But what I want to finish with this morning is making sure that the Word of God has its effect. And Jordan Winslow is going to be diving way more in detail on this particular topic, but I'm going to try to say some things I think are going to complement what he has to say about how we can let the Word of God, as powerful it is, have an effect in our lives. Because Jesus talks about, in Mark chapter 7, how there is a way to get in the way of God's Word having its effect. He's telling the Pharisees here that you make the Word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. One of the ways that we can get in the way of God's Word having an effect to prosper one's life is by our traditions. What are our traditions? Well, we could have traditions about what you wear to church. We could have traditions about what time church starts. We could have traditions about the order of the assembly. We could have traditions about things that go on more in the nuances and the daily routine of your life. There are all sorts of traditions that we could have. We could probably sit down and come up with a list of ten pretty easily if we put our heads together of traditions we have that we might should reconsider. Because these things can get in the way of God's Word having impact in our lives. And we need to make sure that our traditions are bowing before the Word of God rather than the Word of God bowing down before our traditions. Another way that we can fail to let the Word of God have its effect is talked about in John chapter 5, verses 37 through 40. Here it says, And the Father Himself who sent me, this is Jesus speaking, And the Father Himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His form, but you do not have His Word abiding in you, because whom He sent Him you do not believe. You search the Scriptures, 
for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can open up that book all day long and never find life there is the implication of what Jesus is saying. And the, re- the way you can open up that book every single day and never find life there is because you're not going there under the umbrella of Jesus. You're not going under there to find Jesus. You're going in there to prove yourself right. You're going there to make your own points. You're trying to go there to build yourself up for your own self. You can open up God's Word every single day and never get anything out of it if you're not going there to find Jesus. If you're not going there to let Jesus have an impact on you. I've seen this in my life where I take the passages of Scripture and I'm just looking for the one that's going to prove my point so I can tell that person how they're wrong. I've seen this in other people's lives where they've taken some sort of idea, they've made it their their, uh, hobby horse, they built it up and they built it up and they totally forgot about what's ultimately the thing in the Scriptures. What does Jesus say? These are they which testify of me. If we do not search for Jesus in these scriptures, if we do not allow him to be the motivating factor, we will fall short. We will fall short of it having its effect. Last thing I want to say about this is three applications. You, you leave here, what, what would I like you to do? What, what do I think God's word wants you to do concerning its power? First is to study and internalize, to test. In Acts chapter 17, it talks about how the Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Paul came and delivered a message about Jesus. And the Bereans, they went and they searched the scriptures to see what Paul was saying, um, see if what Paul was saying was true, if it was right. Imagine if we did that with all areas of our life, where someone gives us some idea. They tell us what to think about education. They tell us what to think about politics. They tell us what to think about marriage, about your family, about your your relationships in general. Imagine if every single thing the world tried to throw at us, we thought about what the Scriptures had to say about it. And not just that one passage we like, the totality of it. We brought the whole witness of the Scriptures with us. Imagine how much different the world could be, how we would be. The second thing is to have some respect. This is the sword of the Spirit you're dealing with here. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 28 through 31, the context here is that there were some prophets going around saying, oh, this is a word from God, when indeed it was not. And this is what... God says, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says... These people are going around saying they have a word from God when they really don't. You ever done that? You ever said, oh, that's biblical? And then you go and you look later and you're like, oops, that wasn't in the Bible. I've done it. I've said, oh, yeah, you can find that in the Scriptures. Actually, I was wrong. It wasn't there. 
I just picked it up somewhere. I go around and I think, well, I want to prove this point to someone, so I go find a passage that seems to say it, and actually I'm ripping it out of context. We need to have some respect. We need to have some respect. God's Word is a fire. It is like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces. It is not some little bubble gun that you shoot around. You don't wave a shotgun around all willy-nilly. You don't use the Word of God hastily and rashly. You do due diligence. And the last one is to do it. In James chapter 1, 21 through 25, says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. I have to admit, I have to confess, I really, really like to study the Bible and do nothing with it. It's intellectually stimulating. It gets me thinking, and that's kind of like my zone. You know, I just like to sit and think. And so it's, it's really easy for me to read the Bible for all the wrong reasons and to not do with it what I'm supposed to. It's really fun to have tantalizing and engaging conversations about the Scripture and then do nothing with it. Because the doing is the hard part. But the doing is the life-changing part of it. Through internalizing it and allowing it to flow into every action and word is where the life-changing effect of the Scriptures takes place. If you are here this morning, and you want your life changed, we want to help you access the power of the Word of God and apply it to your life with its life-changing power. If you would like that help, we would love to help you. If you'll have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.